Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, April 18th, 2019. This is the Mike Abadir Show. I am Gino Bacola, always alongside the main man, Mike Abadir. And Mike, we've been recapping some of our favorite moments from the show, Game of Thrones. But now we actually have a fresh, brand new episode to talk about. So right off the bat, just give everyone a spoiler warning. If you didn't see Game of Thrones... um, this mo- this past weekend, or you're you're going to watch it. We will be talking uh, about some of the things that happened in the episode. What did you think of uh, of episode one of season eight, Mike? Liked it, didn't love it. Yeah, I kind of scene setter, you know. Yeah, uh, they there were some there were a lot of fun moments, but they were all pretty quick, right? None of them. It, were yeah, like, that's a great point. It seemed like, like they rushed it. Yeah, well, like that's kind of what they have to do, unfortunately, with only six episodes this season you know there's gonna yeah, be a that lot big of moment at the end of the show i wanted more of it i wanted to see his reaction i wanted to see him fall down like i can't believe this and then samuel tarley asking what are you gonna do Jon snow are you gonna insist that she you know step aside for your kingship or you know what i mean like i wanted more of that but i think that's all a part of their plan yeah yeah it, it just gotta give you a little that i saw a lot of uh responses that said they did a good job because they knew this was going to be a big kind of laying out. Like they, they mirrored the very first episode ever in some ways, you know, right off the bat with the procession, them coming in and like Arya seeing right, like immediately Arya just sees like the Hound, John and Gendry right off the bat. Some of her like re uh, reuniting moments, but they did a good job of giving us some, some fun dragon scenes and then uh, a couple, like a pretty pop-out, scare you moment. And then just a lot of just seeing the major characters interact with each other. But not a lot went on. Except well, I'll tell you something that's kind end, of funny. As you mentioned, until the very, yeah. very end when we found out. The yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned the dragons. And the uh, you know the, there was a scene there, obviously, where you know Danny and Jon Snow are kind of on a double date with dragons, <laughs> if you will. It's Aladdin. And, they're on the magic carpet ride, right? Yeah. So here was the funny thing to me is actually in the books, it says that dragons, you have to be um, not a Targaryen, but where are the Targaryens from? It escapes my mind. Not Valyrian, like Valyrian steel, but there's another word with a V region or whatever. But you have to be of these people to be able to ride a dragon. Now, <laughs> he was able to because he is. She but didn't know she, that, though. Should, shouldn't she be, she be scratching her head? Like, even when she offered, should she have even offered? She should have known, like, there's no way that dragons could let him ride him, ride him like a pro like that. But then when they got off, she should have been like, wait a second. How are they letting you, or is she just so smitten with love that she's not even thinking about it? So I don't know. They that was may, weird, though. It's just like, hey, just that. get up on there. He's like, yeah. should I know anything about, you know, is there like a seat belt or yeah, yeah. a controller and funny, somewhere? Like, and... He's like, you ruined horses for me afterwards, and he gets off. So that, that was that was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. that. So we we got uh, some, some fun moments, you know, right off the bat. And uh, I love everything with with the hound i love the ha- the, the hound and aria interaction was great and that was fun 
I want to see more of that. I like when he, because uh, he mentioned before, uh, I think at the end of last season to Brienne that he's never, he's not going to be the one standing in her way. So I think maybe that was some foreshadowing to where he's going to help Arya out again. Because he, he always had, like, that's the thing about the Hound. And we've seen some of these really, uh, really great characters who have had these incredible story arcs, you know. And the Hound, I think, is one of the, the best story arcs. And he's, it's up there with Theon and some of those who just have these epic Jamie turn from good to bad, back to good, back to bad. It, it's it's really just epic. And uh, I'm excited for the Hound. I, I've mentioned it, I think, three or four weeks in a row that I just cannot wait for the Clegane Bowl. When, I, when we get to see the Hound lock up with the Mountain, that is one thing I've been looking forward to the most. And uh, oh, No doubt. You're right, epic. though. The Hound's turnaround may be the most remarkable one because it was very slow turning in front of our eyes to where we're like, you know what? He's not half bad. He's not this hard hearted guy. He always felt a little bit in there. You know, yeah. like at the even from the very beginning, you always saw that he wasn't just one of those guys that's just going around killing and raping whoever. No, he's you know? not like a Joffrey. No, no, and he that's and that was really I think what started his turn is that he just got sick of Joffrey. You know, yeah, he's like, he was I'm, protecting I'm, Sansa from, protecting from Joffrey. This, this and, one, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I totally agree. By the way, before uh, anybody clicks off of here, that's not a Game of Thrones fan. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan, first of all, I ask you why. Why are you not? You are missing out on life. But just in case you're not, we're not going to be talking Game of Thrones the whole episode. We will be talking to the GOAT, Mike Smith. We're going to be talking a lot of Major League Baseball as well. He just made a huge Jeremy. decision over, over uh, the last couple of days where he had to pick between huge decision. two horses who might be the top two betting choices in the Kentucky Derby and yeah. to Omaha Beach. So I'm I'm always curious. Like I've I've talked to Mike a lot of times. Mike actually is a really good guy. When I was sick, he came to a lot of my fundraisers. He had recently gone through something similar with one of his good friends who was sick. And so he I mean he, he was like at all anytime there was a fundraiser, he was donating a lot of money and we got I got pictures all over when he was there all the time. Really supportive. Just a really great guy. I, I'm always curious like what are some of the factors that go into his decision, right? Like, is he looking at replays, numbers, figures, times? Is it just a feel? Is it like a projected running style? Is this horse going to be better going a little bit longer? Like, what What are the things that he and his agent are talking about before yeah. they make the decision? You know, I was thinking, it's I, different I, for you or for me or for anyone else. But I'm curious, like, what are the big factors for him? Exactly. I was th- Those are definitely questions that I want to ask of him. Also, I'm very curious, how does he let – the other side, no, right? Does he have his agent do the dirty work or because of his longstanding relationship with a Bob Baffert, does he, is it kind of more uh, professional courtesy that you call your, the phone yourself? It's like, you, you don't send somebody to break up with your girlfriend. You're, you do it yourself. You kind of man up. Is it like that in the industry? That, those are things that I personally don't know how, how it would work, but I'd be very curious kind of like, and how did he take it? You know, was he mad? Does that, does the potential loss of future business at all cross your mind? Or do they all understand that it's part of the business and no hard feelings? How does that all work and how does that all play into the decision? All very, very fascinating stuff. And I would suspect that the relationship is equal to maybe like the things that you're talking about, the more fundamental aspects, you know, to, you know, the horses times and projections and who does he actually think is going to win? Yeah, that type obviously. Of yeah, you know, do, do, and do they ever do they ever take a horse that they think is inferior, but because I don't want to piss off Pletcher or Chad or Brown, or yeah, whoever, yeah, you know what I mean. So Absolutely. those are all really, really interesting things when when you're looking at this. And I'm also kind of curious as as to whether he's scouted any any of the other horses or or not um, outside of the California circuit, you know, and who he thinks are the main threats. We'll see how 
um, outspoken he is about such things. Uh, the first time that I met him where I actually spent some time was with him was at the ESPYs. And uh, it was kind of funny because you have, you know, LeBron and Chris Paul and all these, you know, pretty much outside of baseball players who um, they're in the middle of the season in July. And you have all the biggest and best from all the sports. And the only one I was interested in talking to is Mike Smith. That's I was great. like, he is the man. Speaking yeah. of which, is he is he the most clutch money writer of our lifetimes and i don't mean has he made you personally the most money with your wagers per se because that's maybe a different question but is he the most like if you had a horse and you had to win a race the derby or the breeders cup classic or dubai probably the three biggest races off the top of my head that i would want to win is he your guy oh yeah yeah absolutely the last uh, 10 years in particular and you know what's funny it's not like it's not it wasn't always great for mike it's like anyone There's plenty of down years in particular where you're not riding at a 25% clip and, or you're not, you know, getting those huge mounts or you don't have mounts in the classic races. And he, you know, he was on the East coast for a long time. And then I think he was just coming back out West really that, that rejuvenated things for him. You know, you move out here, you get in with a couple big barns, you win a couple big races for them. And then you're just the go-to for everyone. And, you know, and then it was Zenyatta, obviously that kind of, vaulted him into sort of superstardom as as like the everyday name but you know what actually helped a little bit before that well you know there's a lot yeah but you know right before that what may have helped a little bit i'm not giving this a lot of credit necessarily but i think it kind of put several jockeys out there in kind of more of the public vernacular if you will which was that reality show on animal planet jockeys oh yeah because yeah. i had a lot of friends that like afterwards knew who joe talama was and they were throwing out names and then i'm not sure if that's when he got friendly with chantelle but all these kind of soap opera things definitely help out because most people don't really get to know jockeys ever you know outside of uh, statistics you know pps you know you don't really get to know you know tvg obviously does some interviews nbc does some interviews but you don't really get to know them and that was an opportunity to kind of get to know the the cast from uh, the west coast circuit here which was pretty cool or the la circuit which was pretty cool but yeah and then from there it was the zinata like you're talking about and um obviously before that he'd been winning a bunch of breeders cup races and afterwards he's been winning a bunch of breeders cup races when you're like that what goals do you even have Moving forward, I mean, what's left? Yeah, because like, obviously he doesn't look to win riding titles for any of the meets. I don't, you know, I don't think he rides enough to even have real legitimate chance to win a riding title. I don't think that's a goal of his. You know, kind of like Gary Stevens, latter part of his career, he he was just looking to be very selective, you know, about which mounts he takes. So I'm kind of curious as to what are some of the goals, just to keep winning all the big races, or what? Yeah, I mean, you got to be selective nowadays. I think, and um, I wonder if that even has something, something plays into a part of like, okay, I'm going to ride a lot for Baffert, but I'm just not, I'm not going to ride as many horses anymore as I used to. If I'm someone that's riding every day, every race, every day, you probably don't want to get out of Baffert's barn, you know? Um, but if you're going to be picking and choosing and being selective, then you know what? Maybe it doesn't matter if you, uh, if you pick the, uh, if you go against Baffert every now and then. Yep. Yep. So who's your top? Derby candidate, or have you kind of come up with who your top? You know is? what? Right now, like I'm starting to to get a feeling that the, the horse who that who might be forgotten about a little bit at the windows is Game Winner. I mm-hmm. think I think he might float up into the like above eight to one range, and if he's there, 
man, like if he's anything close to 10 to 1, you never know because it's going to be still Baffert. I think a lot of people are cold on him because he's over 2 this year. And I thought he, he ran two really good races. He ran, uh, he had to move a little early. He's always there. That, and that's what I love. Like, I think he's going to be in the mix. So it, it, it'll depend a lot to me on price. But if he floats up a tad, he's probably the horse that I'm going to be the most interested in. Because I just don't, I don't think he's going to fire a bad, a bad race. Which, which one did Florent Drew commit to? Was it game winner? No, uh, Roadster. Roadster, okay. Yeah. Rosario's on game winner. Gotcha. Okay, so Roadster's crossed off my list. <laughs> no, not a, not a Roadster fan? <laughs> not a, not a Florent Drew fan. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. There I you just go. made that decision right now. Okay. I was, okay. I knew he committed to, to one of Baffert's horses. Once I found out which one exactly it was, off my list. But, no, I agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, value-wise, you know, game winner. It, it's funny because y- you have three Baffert runners in this race that are probably going to be similar odds, right? Yeah. You, that's and that, Within that's, a couple points of each other. I mean, right, like, kind of like that's um, what I'm seeing. Well, kind of I maybe think Roadster and... Six I think Roadster and, uh, and Omaha are going to vie for favoritism. And now I think because Mike Smith picked Omaha, he'll probably be the favorite. Um, and then you'll have, you know, Roadster right after that. You'll have no East Coast bias for uh, game winner and Tacitus or Tacitus. Tacitus. Well, I think I think Tacitus will probably be like Tacitus is the horse who might get bet and that will make game winner float up a little bit. Because mm-hmm. generally you don't have more than like three horses under 10 to 1. I think it's usually like three, four, and then every and then a bunch right above ten to one. Like you'll start getting at twelve, fifteen, you know, and then in the twenties. But honestly, this year I think there's going to be quite a bit of long of like pretty high long shots. Absolutely, we don't get the huge like hundred to ones like we used to because everybody just bets them now like if a horse gets above 50 to 1 everybody just starts betting on them because they're such a big price like just the, the the regular betting public but there are a lot of horses this year at least in my handicapping that i'm just kind of dismissing it's actually kind of funny mike um if you look at the the derby points list i actually like the horses that are like from 21 through 30 more than maybe half than like 14 or 15 of the horses in the field i don't blame you there, I, there I are some horses that are agree. kind of interesting that just like just missed and are right on the outside. And if you know things happen, they might get in. Yeah, but I'm he, bummed that another twist of fate is probably not getting in. I would have really liked to see. Sure, this horse I mean, back. Signalman would have has run well at Churchill Downs and is absolutely a horse who could close and and you know hit the board. Sueño, same mm-hmm. thing. Bourbon War just had a had a chase uh, like a, a lone speed at Gulfstream Park last time. Sure. Out. And if he runs third instead of fourth, he's in. And, you know, and I don't think we've seen the best of Instagram either. No, not at all. Mucho gusto. Owendale just won the Lexington, you know, and this is an up and coming horse. I like this group, like the 21 through 30. I would prefer seeing a lot of them uh, over some of the horses that I'm just going to kind of dismiss uh, in, in this derby field. So yeah, for me right now, it's, it's it kind of gravitated, gra- um, gravitated, going towards game winner. How about you? Who's like one of your top or one or two of your kind of top tiers? I'm probably going to have to say Omaha beach and it's not, you know, because I'm Mike Smith necessarily entirely, but Omaha beach has just looked really good to me. You know, it's hard to, um, He's it's hard to go against what your, what your eyes tell you. You know what I mean? Um, I also like maximum security. You know, it's kind of funny because I know he came from very humble beginnings, you know, in the claiming ranks, but he's, you know, beat, 
every test that's been thrown his way. Um, and so, you know, I, I think to me, those are probably my top two. And then um, in terms of a long shot, you know, I think tax and long range toddy, you know, horses that I'd probably be using underneath. But you and I both know that there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then, namely uh, um, the post uh, positions. You're yeah, right. The I'll, post positions play a big part of it, of course. I'll absolutely have Country House as an under horse. I just, he's one of those horses who just kind of always comes running. Uh, and I think he'll come running and pick up some pieces and, you know, second, third, fourth type horse. And he, he'll be pretty huge. I don't think, I don't know if he's good enough to win. And he's the kind of horse who you really have to time, right? Cause it seems like he'll make a move and then flatten out a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think he needs to, he, but he will come running. And so I, I, I like him as an underneath horse is I just kind of dismissing a lot of horse. Like I'm not, I am master fencer, not really a fan of like, as of now, not really spinoff gray magician. Not really. I know our buddy Joe's high on win, win, win. I'm not that high on him. Cutting humor and tax, maybe and long range toddy, maybe war of will. I'll probably give him a shot to bounce back and probable and eh, not a real high cow fan code of honor and eh. game winner. I like maximum security by my standards. Not really roadster. Sure. Plus K Carfe and eh. the coma. And like I, you know, I'm I'm down. It sounds to like just a quick count on top of my head. There, it sounds like you, you're down to like three or four already. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, that, and that's just not, not that I'm going to be right or wrong, but generally I have a tough time getting. You know, I, I I'll get to ten, you know, in the derby that I like, and then I'll have to start cutting. And okay, I'm going to play um, some trifectas or some supers. Which of these horses am I going to be having to cut out from on the top and, and place them in certain spots? But it doesn't seem to me on paper, at least. And and as you mentioned, I'll, I'll do a little more handicapping and I'll dig in. But I know most of these horses already. We sure. we, we do. We've been watching them. We've seen yep. them. So now yep. it's just about how do they train the, the couple weeks coming into it? Where do they draw? And what's the track come up like on Derby Day? Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think that the exacta wager and the, the trifecta wager are going to be huge opportunities to make money. I think they're going to pay no matter what. It's going to be the opposite of last year where you could bang it. 10 times a piece and not clear two G's, you know, it's not going to be like that this year. I think it's going to be a good exact and no matter who comes in um, and a good trifecta, probably no matter who comes in. Well, let's um, take a, you'll take a break. When we yeah. return, we'll continue on with a little more game of Thrones and Mike Smith will be calling in at some point. And when he does, we'll bring him on. We'll start talking some Omaha beach and then we can close up with maybe uh, some thoughts on the uh, baseball and the NBA playoffs. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. 
have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, Mike, one of the fun uh, parts in the uh, first episode of Season 8 of Game of Thrones was the interaction with Euron Greyjoy and Cersei. And uh, the funny thing, uh, the, the, a couple of the real things that I saw floating all around social media, Cersei and the elephants, she seemed pretty pissed off that there were no elephants that that uh, that she thought she purchased. Does that tie back into something from previous right? episodes? Because I was or wondering, in, what the hell is the that future, all about? Right? Or maybe foreshadowing. Like something to come. Right, because that just seemed weird, and it this me. isn't I was a like, show that just from? throws things. As you've mentioned a few times, they don't really just leave things dangling a whole lot. No, they usually, you know, they usually fix that. They cross the uh, the T and dot the I's at some point. So we'll see. But the Euron is just ultimate swag. I mean, that <laughs> that guy just shooting his shot. He does not give any F's, Mike. I mean, he is just. Really, he's DTF. That's what. That's all he's he's trying to do right now. He wants to sleep with the queen, and and he, he did, and he does. And what's funny is that she says to him the line that like every girl just loved that like if you want if you want a queen you got to treat me like a queen you know and and then two minutes later she sleeps with him <laughs> you know but uh he's he's talking about how he wants to to put a a prince in her but I don't think he knows that she is already pregnant. Well, that's an interesting point. Do you think that? She did sleep with him to be able to kind of deflect from Kingslayer, the incest, that whole thing, because that obviously is uh, the one who impregnated her. Um, or or is, does, she, does she really kind of have the hots for his arrogance, as she said, and, and that type of thing? Or is it maybe a combination of both? She kind of likes him. He did kind of bring a lot to the table. And no, he did. through every time that he said he's going to come through, so I give him that. Um, but is it more is it more the the pregnancy or more just kind of her anatomy and her needs? I think she's just just playing the game with him. She like I don't I don't think this means anything to her whatsoever. I think she's just this is just payment. This is what he wanted. She's gonna give it to him, and that's it. You know. And 
he, he he's great though. He when he walks in, he steals a lot of the scenes. He has oh, this, yeah. a real and I don't know if you saw the the actual actor who plays Euron. He tweeted on Sunday night. She liked it. Like right after. It <laughs> no, I didn't and, see that. And the tweet awesome. was just going crazy all over. And everyone, I was like, oh, that is just great. It is that great. That is rad. Yeah. So he was having a lot of fun with it. That's really, really cool. Yeah. You know, it's that that was, a, you know, obviously a kind of a, a, a fun twist. Didn't really see that one coming. Um, I guess the other thing that I didn't mention is maybe it's a little bit of loneliness since Jamie left. Speaking of which, it'd be very interesting to see how that all goes down, um, you know, from kind of the previews, it looks like he's going to be uh, going through some type of maybe trial or, you know, he's going to be in front of the uh, all the, you know, elders or the council or whatnot, answering some questions. Um, not sure why at this point, because the, the Lannisters promised they'd come help fight, which is why he's there, because... Seriously, made it clear that she, you know, she's like, are you an idiot? Are you a fool? We're not going up there to help them out. That was all a BS ploy to, you know, pretend that we have peace so they don't see us coming. He wanted to honor their word. So he went there. So what is the trial for then? So what are your thoughts on that? Well, we, we know we saw Cersei and Kyburn, what they're doing. They're going after him, the brothers. Yep. You know, he, he had a. Which a I don't think Bronn can, will, will, will do that. Do you? I don't either. No, I don't. I don't. I think as much as he, you know, I mean, remember, remember though, he didn't fight for Tyrion against the uh, the mountain when he asked him. He said, "No, I'm not. I won't do that." You know, I, yeah. I'm, I'd be crazy to do that. And he's even said to Tyrion a few times, like, "Well, we're friends, but what, what the hell have you ever done for me? You know, what have you ever risked your life for me? You know." Um, but I still, I still don't think he will do that. I think he's uh, has too much of an allegiance to Jaime and and to Tyrion. Um, but I. Yeah, I the Euron seriously like Euron. I think is gonna be is gonna be out soon. I can't see him being around all too long. I think he's gonna be getting a getting his throat cut sometime soon, maybe by Yara or uh, or even Theon or someone in his family. Um, I see that coming soon. Yeah, I see them getting the revenge. Um, uh, uh, you know, because of what what he I mean he killed their father first first of all, and then he crowned himself uh, the you know king of the Iron Island. So. Couple, um, couple other things that we haven't mentioned, uh, but that were kind of big parts of the episode. And we find out that the Starks are not really taking too kindly to Danny, to Queen Danny. You know, Sansa isn't a big fan of her. Arya is taking Sansa's side. Um, at at that point, everybody just hates Bronn. He just shows up and has just got no emotions and no feelings anymore. And he's just like, hey, we got a fight coming. We better do that. In the weirdest spots, right? He just always shows up in the weirdest spots and he's just staring. And, the, and the he's like, we don't have time for this. Yeah. We don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they, they've greeted each other for 30 seconds. He's like, we yeah. don't have time for this. You know, that was kind of funny. Yeah, you know, that dynamic was kind of interesting because it really seemed like Arya was not giving Jon Snow grief, but... A little she, bit. It was unexpected. It was unexpected. Because you know, she's last, always looked up to him. Well, and last season, she was threatening to kill Sansa. You know? And we yeah. saw them reunite, but we know that her and Sansa have never really been that close. From day one, they always didn't like each other. You know, they always fought. And it was her, as you mentioned, it was her and Jon who always really had the connection. So that, that was a big moment 
And another telling I think bending the knee may have been up. very troubling for the girls. Yeah, yeah. They've been very troubling. They're you know, obviously how, how can you do this? We're northern here. How, how do you allow you know, people, you know, somebody, an outsider to, to come in and rule us? It's well, never then, happened. And then how about the interaction with so not only so John comes in with his new girlfriend and his sister doesn't like other sister doesn't like all of his people, the northerners, they don't like because they remember history and what their family has done to Ned Stark's father and, you know, in the, the, the Starks in, in history. So he comes in with this new girl. Nobody likes it. Even his best friend, Sam, who's like always got his back, always on his side, always asking, hey, what did you do with that girl? Tell me more about that girl. You know, Sam loves the, the details. And she tells Sam that she killed his family. You know, uh, yeah, and it was it was the, the brother was really the final. Straw really was the one because that. that was he could have lived with the dad dying, dad, but yeah. the father. I mean, the brother was just like that was gut wrenching for him, and uh, he had to leave the room. He couldn't take it, and so and he's not a guy that's really driven off of emotion. But once uh, once Brand convinced him that he's got to be the one that kind of spills the beans when once he was went down to the crypt, he was like, "Hey, man, you know," he basically was like, "You got to be the king. You can't let her." Can't and, do uh, it. I, we, one of our producers right now just uh, sent a, a message that when they were talking about the elephants, maybe it was uh, foreshadowing to some undead mammoths. Maybe they're going to be some of those night walking mammoths that come up out of nowhere. Now that come, could be an interesting possibility. What if she's made a deal with the devil, right? Well, or just come against her after she's talked about how she wanted these, and maybe they're the she sees these show up. You know, coming out, it, it, just anything. Now, that, that's kind of an interesting one. I didn't even think about it with that take or from that angle, but that was a good, a good, uh. Okay, so refresh my memory, G. Did the wildlings, when they were walking with giants, etc., I, I kind of feel like I remember them going towards the wall on some giant elephants. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to assume that they've been turned. Me too. And if that's the case, then kind of what you're theorizing could very well be the case. That wasn't even my theory. We got to give props where props do. Yeah, A-Rod, good job, man. A-Rod back there today, right? Yeah, so great job, A-Rod. Nice job. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was, I'd give it like a six out of ten, you know, or uh, like a solid B minus if you're just giving it grades. Like, it wasn't bad. I, definitely fun and I think the fact that it's been so long since we've had this episode, we were all just dying to see what happened next and any forward movement at all is going to be positive. And we had the fun dragon riding scene and, uh, and a little pop out here and there. But we we know that now with just five episodes left, there are a lot of things that have to happen in these next, what, five, probably six hours or, t- or so of, uh, of TV that we're going to be watching. Yeah, it actually might even be a little bit more than that because I think a few of them are like a, a Close hour, to an hour and twenty and mark, yeah. hour twenty five, hour thirty. So yeah, no, uh, and I think what you just said may be a part of it, it, if there has been any of a slightly negative sentiment about episode one, it may be just that which is we waited so long. The expectations are probably unrealistic. They're huge, and I I agree with you. I think this was a setup episode, so you almost can't judge episode one until you see what happens with episodes two, three, and four and sure. how it all unfolds. Because I think a lot of times things make a lot more sense, even dating back to the very first episode. And uh, one last thing before we kind of talk a little bit of MLB, it was kind of cool how they did relate back to episode one with that caravan 
to start the show. The procession in little the city. Kid, yeah. Yep, the procession, the little kid, you know, running to try to get a glimpse, try to get to higher, you know, to 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 a higher spot just to be able to to see more clearly, you know, height disadvantage. Just like Arya back in uh, in year number one, episode number one. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And uh, and then from there, really, like you said, it was all about the reception, the chilly reception that uh, the outsiders got. And I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from this first episode of season eight. And I think that's going to carry through and may even be a big part of John's decision how to take this from this point moving forward. Because if people aren't going to fight for him, then it doesn't make any sense to keep the status quo. No. And this is how, you know, how long is it going to take for John to tell Danny? Is he going to tell her right away? Um, how is he going to break this news to her? Because this is going to be the the biggest, obviously something conflicted because John's never wanted this. He's the only one really of all the rulers who never wanted to be a ruler. And he's always repeatedly tried to get out of it over and over and over again. You know, he's given he's he's given his responsibility to Sansa anytime that he could. And when he when he got kind of got out because he got killed, he got out of leading the Night's Watch. He didn't want to do that. You know, he's had to be anointed the king repeatedly over and over again. And now that he is the one true destined ruler, how is he going to? As you mentioned, we didn't see it enough. So hopefully we'll see more of and they'll pick it up from where where it left off is how is he going to internalize that? And and how, and really, how is Danny going to respond to that? Like that, like what is that interaction going to be like? Is Sam going to get mad and just tell her, you know, or is something going to happen where John just well, like I I don't see him just going up and telling her. But then again, he's such an honest guy, you know. Maybe he does. He says, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want this. It's yours. You can take it. I'm just going to marry my aunt. You know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> good, good. All very fascinating stuff. Can't wait to see it all unfold. Let's talk a little baseball, shall we? Yeah. We got a few well, minutes here before the break. And so uh, let's start with let's start with your team right off the bat because you, you start with the reigning champs. And a week ago we were talking, and it seemed like going home maybe we're gonna was gonna pick them up a little bit, but they lost three in a row uh, again right now, and the Red Sox are six and thirteen. It's like they take a step forward and then kind of another two steps backwards so far. Again, this is a baseball season. We're only 19 games in. And uh, as you had mentioned, it's not like the Yankees are world beaters right now anyways. They're 8-9. and nine. But we're starting to worry about the Rays a little bit, who are now up to 14-4. and four, And they're not exactly a slouch, Mike. This is a team that you thought would be, you know, a wild card team anyways this year. Yeah, I mean, they've been super, super impressive. And, and the Red Sox have been very under-impressive. Uh, I... What I, what I'll stick to what I said last week, which is remember I had mentioned that they start off the year with a long road trip, Ooh. and then they come back for a very short homestand, and then they go back on the road again. And, and I said I would reserve the judgment. The race. Just t- like a tough month, very very tough far. month. So I was going to reserve judgment until they start the real homestand, where they finally get to play at Fenway for a while, because they start off the year playing six out of their first twenty two games at home. Let's judge them after that. If they can't get it together in, in late April and early May, then they're in real, real trouble. And when I say real, real trouble, you're going to have to kind of take a cl- introspective look inwardly and decide, do I want to trade some of these guys because my minor league system is so depleted sure. that maybe I could trade a piece or two and still be a contender 
for years to come. And set myself up better. But at least set myself up better. Maybe it's a Rafael Devers, who was their top-rated prospect for many years, and he's been pretty decent, but he hasn't lived up to the expectations mm-hmm. that he came into the league with. Somebody like that, um, maybe a Xander Borgarts. Uh, I'd like to not have to move him, and I know contractually, I mean, they're, they're obviously very committed to him and Sale. Um, who knows? Uh, but right now, it's all about that next homestand and what do they what do they do from there? And the Dodgers from last year were a great example of a team that could make a turnaround yeah, and get to the switch. World Series. Absolutely. But right now, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's been ugly, man. It's well, been ugly. The, the big crazy thing is that it's not even that you lose and you're going to lose some games, and it's great that what's what's great is that it's not run differential that matters. It's just wins and losses, like. Your your minus forty two through nineteen games won't matter if you get back and get into the playoffs. But just looking at two teams, you're a minus forty two. The Red Sox and the Rays are a plus forty seven. Unreal. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. In, and for the Red Sox, it hasn't been. You know, sometimes early in the season, you have like a game or two that'll throw it off. It's not sure. been the case for Boston. No, it's, it's been, been like, just when they lose, they lose by four runs. Yeah, season-long mediocrity and mediocre is probably uh, putting it nicely. Yeah, so. let's take let's take a quick break. We'll uh, we'll shift the focus a little bit from the American League East. We'll kind of do a little uh, a little run through the rest of MLB, and then we'll get some thoughts on some of the the first round NBA playoff matchups. Still waiting on Mike Smith. Hopefully, he can give us a call in the next. Yeah, just uh, uh, for the segment. listeners. Yeah, for the listeners to be aware, he's finishing up an, uh, an, a TV segment for NBC, who is obviously going to be broadcasting the Kentucky Derby or whatnot. So he's uh, efforting to be able to uh, get things wrapped up and to join us. So stay with us. We will be back after a quick message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel do you love sports talk can't get enough sports talk have we got a show for you it's about the nfl training camps super bowl previews a look at the new starting quarterbacks and weekly key injuries we'll take your calls and emails right on the air former philadelphia eagle james loving is your host and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Shift our focus over a little bit to the National League. And Mike, we have a fun series coming up here in Milwaukee with the Dodgers getting set to play the Brewers. They they just hooked up last weekend at Dodger Stadium where the Brewers ended up winning two out of three from the Dodgers. But they'll play this weekend in Milwaukee. And right now, through the first 20 games or so of the season, I think the two best players in baseball have been Cody Bellinger and Kristen Yelich. They're going to be hooking up tonight. They both have nine home runs. They're co-leading the NL. Um Yelich has 26 RBIs. Bellinger has 23. Bellinger's hitting 429 right now. He's stealing bases. They are both quick. They're both excellent fielders. They can move all over. Two really, really fun young players that we're going to get to see uh, kind of have the spotlight on them early on in the season. Yeah, man. They've both been raking and carrying their teams, and they're fun to watch. And, you know, they're, they're, they have very different Physically speaking, they, they look very different. They have different types of swings, but they're getting very similar results. And they're both super athletic players, both really fun to watch. And they seem to be kind of like the quiet leader type. They don't really, yeah. you know, t- they're not big talkers or anything like that, but they're they're carrying their team so far offensively um, until, you know, uh, obviously, Jock Peterson is is also doing a really really yeah, good job for the, for the yeah. Brewers uh, for the Dodgers, yeah. And then Yasmani Grandal for the Brewers. But you know these two guys are are, are single handedly capable of winning games offensively right now, and that's what MVPs and MVP candidates do. Like you know Betts last year, and and like Christian Yelich did last year. The difference was though with Yelich was Shaw was raking with thirty home runs, and Aguilar with thirty home runs, and Kane. Uh, Kane you I know, think Kane and Yelich were like the top two, or, or they were in the top five for MVP voting. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, you know, Kane, uh, his power numbers aren't there yet. I know he's been hitting for a pretty good average. You know, he's above 300. But, yeah, man, these two guys are, are really doing some special things um, de- uh, offensively. Pitching-wise, who have, who have impressed you up to this point? Well, it's nice um, so far – uh, or what's nice this weekend for the Dodgers is we saw Kershaw make his return. And that was that was excellent because he didn't miss a whole lot. You know, um, early on in, in spring training, there were just bad feelings like his back wasn't doing good. He wasn't picking up a ball. He, he wasn't doing this and that. So to see him come back and throw seven innings um, and a really good two runs where he really only gave up that home run to Yasiel Puig, and, and that was about it. I like to see him doing that, doing well. Uh, I love the fact that Ryu has actually been slated in this weekend. So Ryu's going to start on Saturday night. We, we thought he might be gone for a while with his injury, so he's going to start Saturday night. That'll bump Kershaw back. So we'll get to see some of the Dodgers uh, pitching studs this weekend also. But, Mike, you know, pitching really well, the AL, my AL prediction for Cy Young, I love seeing um, – my guy Barrios from from the Twins. He's had a, an excellent start so far. He's pitching very very well, and uh, a couple others that I thought have been interesting so far. Shoemaker, who used to pitch for the Angels, and he's had a ton of arm trouble. He threw well against Boston, and he's got a couple wins already for Toronto. And uh, and then we've seen uh, a couple others 
here and there. But the, the one that my buddy and I were talking about last night was another guy who I think just deserves mention because he's been excellent so far through a few a uh, few starts. He has a .81 ERA. That's Joe Musgrove from Pittsburgh. He uh, they blew a, a win for him um, the other night uh, when they blew uh, when he had the opportunity to get another victory. But he's been really really good so far. Anyone that's uh, that's caught your eye so far that's had a hot start to the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're when you're looking outside of, uh, you know, your favorite teams, you probably start, you know, gravitating towards the guys that have done well for you on your fantasy teams. And one of the guys that's really carried my pitching staff is uh, Max Fried for Atlanta. And uh, he, he's another guy that had a, a win lined all lined up against Diamondbacks the other night. Um, but the bullpen for the uh, Braves did not come through and they were just dealt a really big blow by losing Vizcaino for the year. So, um you know that might be an early uh, omen for the for the Braves and how this season might turn out for them. But I, I just say overall as a staff, Tampa, Tampa led by Tyler Glass now has just been pitching lights out. They've got baseball's best record, I believe, going into today. Seven seventy eight winning percentage, fourteen and four record, and they've been doing it with timely hitting. But more than anything, the runs against, 43 runs against so far in 18 games. That is just microscopic ERA-wise. So props to Tampa, man. I love seeing small market teams come in and kick some serious ass. Let's shift a little bit over to the NBA. First round of the playoffs have started. And Mike, man, one of the... uh, the more fun games I've had uh, an opportunity to watch, and for me, normally the games I'm watching are Laker games. The Clippers were down by 31 points the other night. It was 94 to 63 in the third quarter. They completed the largest comeback in NBA playoff history. They did it on the road against their returning champs, the Golden State Warriors. That was as impressive as a win as you'll ever see. And man, as we we've not talked a whole lot of the NBA, but when we talked about the Clippers a couple times through the year, we both really like the the team and a lot of the players on their team. They're built with some of the more underrated players throughout all of the NBA. So let me ask you this: Let's say now with that that game means nothing if they don't follow up with a win. Sure, right? If you lose all the momentum, then stick a fork in them. But let's just say they win tonight. If they win tonight and they're up two games to one, you give them a chance. Now, I obviously, anytime any team in any professional sport is up two games to one, of course they've got a chance. I say that, though, in light of what you were mentioning last week, which was that they are the biggest underdog in the history of the NBA playoffs. So from that vantage point, I think the Warriors are like a minus 50,000 to win the series or something that I've never even seen before or heard of. But from that perspective, though, in that light, you give them a legit chance to win this series, to take four games no. from the chance. No, that's the problem. you got to beat this team four times, and I just don't think you're going to. Like, Durant's going to have a game or two, but the thing about the, the last game, which uh, Durant took eight shots and had nine turnovers. That's, that's not crazy. typical. That's, that's pretty crazy to, for him to only take eight shots in yeah. a game. Neither you, of those well, could numbers you imagine, is typical. My, the, could you imagine if that would have happened to, and not even as a Laker, but could you imagine if that would have happened to a LeBron-led team where they were up by 31, lost a game at home in a game where he only took eight shots and had nine turnovers? How do you think the media would be attacking LeBron oh, or Kobe dude. or anyone like that the next day? Durant, 
for as for as much as he wants us to believe that he's got it hard, he really doesn't at all. No, you know, no. he doesn't. And he's he's someone who is probably one of my least favorite athletes. Just obviously, I respect his talent. I know he's incredible. I just I don't like watching him. I don't really like rooting for him. I don't really when he when he says things, I'm always kind of scratching my head a little bit. I guess we just have a difference of opinion. You know what's funny about that though is that before he left OKC, he was considered like. The most Super humble superstar, likeable, very likable. Um, it, w- it wasn't really until there was a lot of talk about is he going to stay or is he going to go, and then his messing with social media and burner account, and then it just seemed like everything started snowballing the other direction for the guy. I mean, like literally, I knew people that didn't know a lot about basketball, and they're like, "Oh, I cried when I saw that MVP speech he dedicated to his mom." He was probably at that point at the peak popularity in terms of this is this is refreshing to have a humble nice superstar in the nba and then it all went to shit i mean just like just like that once he became a warrior he became enemy number one i think a lot of people kind of looked at it like man he sold his soul to win a championship didn't do it the old school way which is you kind of build with your teammates but instead he's doing it kind of this new wave style of these mega teams and all that kind of stuff but I guess getting back to this series in of itself, the Warriors don't give up those kind of leads. They don't give up those kind of leads yeah, at home. Something's wrong. And they don't do it that. in the postseason. So why did it happen? Yeah. And does that mean that they're vulnerable? I, something's wrong you know, th- with, with them. They're a little off. And, and if it's maybe Durant's going to leave or whatever it is, um, they're – yeah, there, there's the the mojo in the locker room isn't quite there as it as it normally is with that team. So, I don't. Yeah, I think they'll still be able to get by, and I still can't figure out even you know if if maybe it's Houston, but who's going to be able to beat them four out of seven times? That's the problem. Like, you could you you could beat them. You know, it'd be three three, and then in the game seven, are you going to be able to take them down and hope that you know Curry and Clay and Draymond and Durant don't don't show up? No boogie, obviously. I think Boogie was starting to play well, Cousins, and, and he's going to be done now. So that, that won't help them. But I still think they're still the leader right now because you, you look around the rest of the West. We A team that – one of the reasons why I was always pretty high on the Lakers this year was because I thought – when I looked up and down in the West, I thought the West was a conference that was going to be built maybe tough in the regular season because there are a lot of pretty competitive teams. But again, same thing. Any of these teams, you're telling me in a seven-game series, you probably wouldn't take a LeBron-led, a healthy LeBron-led team over the Nuggets? Because I just, I don't trust the Nuggets. They've, they split with the Spurs. I think the Spurs are going to beat them in that series. I don't think the Spurs even have that great of a team. OKC hasn't really looked that good. Utah, is they're a solid defensive team. You know what you're going to get for them. Portland has some injuries. So that's the problem when you go down the West. Who is like a terrifying team right now? Even Houston, we've seen them maybe get as far as they can. Is that style of play with Harden dominating it going to be able to beat the Warriors? You know, their toughest you know, opponent may very well be a gritty type of team like the Clippers. No, you're right. Yeah, it may, it may, they, they're not the best from a, team, from a but they may be the toughest team. They're deep? Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. If they were meeting in the conference finals, and the reason I say that is because by then the Clippers would have won a couple series and really, really believed in themselves, and they'd be uh, riding serious momentum. If they if they were meeting up in the conference finals, I, I, I would actually give the, the Clippers a legitimate chance. I think right now, you know, this is a fairly new team playing together, at least, right? Yeah. 
And so uh, I still think it would be a monumental upset. Um, they were the largest first round series underdog since 1988, which to me seemed a little bit weird because obviously it's the Warriors and people are going to bet the Warriors because they're like a sexy name out there. But you're telling me some of those Eastern Conference teams that had to play against a LeBron team in the first round and those teams that were under 500 didn't have, at, you know, had, had more of a chance to win their series than the Clippers in here? Yeah, that is pretty surprising. I think a lot of that might have to do with just uh, uh, you have a lot more. Chalk. Yeah, and uh, yeah, also, uh, you know, this would be an interesting question to maybe pose to, uh, you know, one of these uh, sportsbook directors uh, that are out there or maybe even our guy, Tony uh, Treasure Island, which is now that gambling has become much more widespread, I would imagine that there, there are people that are looking kind of for the easy, you know, 10 cents on the dollar, like the one to nine horse race uh, sure. opportunity, right, to to maybe bet on favorites. Did that drive this up maybe a little bit more than typical where you have guys that are looking at it more of an investor instead of a gambler? Like, hey, you know, I could maybe make a nickel or something like that. Quickly, and then they, 10 cents on my dollar. Yeah, that type of thing, maybe. The other part might be no Blake, no DeAndre, no CP3, no Jamal Crawford. They start two rookies. Name, like name, Landry, name Shamit, the and Zubat start yeah. the Clippers. Like an average person, you know, on the streets, name a Clipper. Uh, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that might be a part of it. And obviously sure. the Warriors have been dominant for the last five years. So that obviously plays a very big role into this. But I agree with you. I think on paper, uh, it, there have probably been bigger mismatches in the past that we've seen um, result in very easy sweeps. This one ain't a sweep already. So um, yeah. it'd be fun to see what happens. We only have a couple minutes left, but just some big notes the key to that Philadelphia team and the 76ers series, as we mentioned right when it was starting, was the health of Joel Embiid. In game one, he did not look very good. He looked really out of shape. He said he was out of shape. Game two, he looked a lot better. Game three, which is tonight, they've just announced he's out for oh, game three. That's that, a big, big So news. that's, a, that's yeah. huge for the Sixers. They could go down two to one against a really feisty Nets team. Uh, and then just a couple other thoughts from the uh, quick hitters from the other series. We have the the Magic and Raptors tied at one one. The Raptors did their did their uh, normal where they lose the game one of the playoffs. They always do that. Yeah, that's their mo. The Celtics haven't really looked great, but they they've they they went they've won. They beat the Pacers. They're two and zero now, and uh, they they were kind of a quiet under the radar team because I think everyone, including me, has jumped off the Celtics. But you've stuck with them, and if they beat the Pacers, they could sweep the Pacers and. You know, and maybe have a little time off, and and then they go into playing a uh, a Milwaukee team. So that that second round should be fun. And then Blazers Thunder, uh, it's two zero Portland so far. They're going to go on the road and play OKC. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, like I said last year and the year before, I just want to see good series and uh, you know and something so that's far. unpredictable. Yeah. And I think we've yeah. we've gotten that so far. So I've been tuning in a lot more than I normally would, and I've been enjoying them and. You know, I plan to kind of go back and forth between the Dodger game tonight and uh, and some of these playoff games. So it should be a lot of fun. Once again, we apologize uh, about Mike Smith not being able to make it. We'll, we'll try we'll to bring him back on, back on yeah, soon we'll again. Reconnect with him. And he's and not we'll one of those guys on. that kind of like big times anybody. Or no, anything he, he's that. busy, though. He just he's, had- Yeah, he, he sent me a couple of texts like, hey, still trying to get out of this NBC thing. So um, we'll try to get some information from him before the Derby. Um, next week, we're going to have our NFL draft show, and we've already got some pretty cool guests lined up, including the Patriots beat writer and the NFL draft Bible. So have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone, and we'll see you guys same time, same place next week. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.